You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is a bi-monthly analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we finally take a look at that Jinx spinoff. Not just kidding, we take a look at Pierce Brosnan's final Bond performance. It's 2002's Die Another Day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Bondzilla podcast. I was actually going to look up what episode number this was. Yeah, too late, though. Um, I think it actually would be episode... Well, because this is the 20th... Great radio. <laughs> no, because this is, this is the 20th Bond movie, so this is the 20th Bond episode we've recorded. Sure. So double that. Almost. 007. So I think this is episode 39. Yeah. We've done 39 of these. Until we publish the episode, and then it's like we got the no. So this wrong. this will be thirty nine. Okay, and then the next one. Well, no, because it was like, almost thirty eight episodes ago where we did our first episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next Godzilla episode will be episode forty. I'm uh Will, by the way, and I'm Nick. Hello. Yes. Mm-hmm. How how is everybody? I uh well, this is people a- people at home or people in their cars or people wherever you listen to this podcast listen to on the toilet probably mm-hmm. people will do that yes um people download it for the airplane 100 percent uh people you know maybe someone <laughs> listened to it in space maybe maybe the astronauts like this podcast you don't know houston we have a podcast yes um, that would be their excellent name <laughs> for a podcast about space history by the way um yeah uh i hope everybody had a good thanksgiving and uh yeah, that are enjoying their uh upcoming holidays and mm-hmm. hope we can bring you the gift of bonzilla yes I as hope we so go too. uh yeah the, and th- this is an episode i we're, we're really getting into eras of uh bond and uh godzilla that i'm very excited to talk about mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's been it's been a great ride thus yeah far. It's, it's, it's interesting because we I think we talked about the cannibal but we're really approaching you know, the, we're approaching the modern day Bond canon. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, we're, right after this, we're we're, we're at the, modern day Bond. We're at we're at Craig after this. So. Yeah. Um, and, we, and, which and, and, and and don't like again for those of you saying out there, you know, you're Godzilla, and you're like, hey, there's a lot more Godzilla than there are Bond movies. There's a solid amount, and I know that. Don't worry, I do have episodes. <laughs> Post uh, sure, Spectre yeah. plan. Oh, we um, had talked about that. Yeah, so yeah. there's there's some things we're de- I know 100 percent we're gonna do some things that we will talk about as we get closer to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't worry, folks. There's there's a lot more fun to be had on the Bondzilla podcast on the Bond side of things. Yeah, um, including this week. Uh, yeah, this this one this one should be fun. Uh, I'm very looking forward to talking about this. This was uh, another in the pantheon of Bond movies that I was very much looking forward to talking mm-hmm. about. Um. I don't know. It possibly my first Bond movie was this one. <laughs> I I do have distinct memories of this being one of the ones I uh, seeing on like the the stars right. like you know uh epics like marathons. No, um, I definitely I remember at home living room saw this but I may have actually seen it in theaters. Now I think 2002. about it. 2002. Yeah, I was going to movies back then. I guess we should the movie itself it is, yes, it's Die Another Day, yes. which we've mentioned before, is is the final uh, part of our Pierce Brosnan era. You're right. Uh, so this is kind of another end of an era, so we definitely get into that. But this was Die Another Day from 2002. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so, Nick, what brought us uh, the movie that was supposed to launch the Jinx spinoff the, yes, series? Yes, and that will... <laughs> I, that will some, Jinx could be, have been the Mothra of... Of, of, the, of the Bond <laughs> franchise. Yeah, well, how I'll say this. If MGM had its way, there would have been someone else that would have been the Mothra. They're, they're really eager to get someone to do... Um, uh uh-huh. of spinoff but we'll talk i don't want to get too much into oh that. is that is that in this episode yes, really? this episode. Oh, okay okay cool yeah cool, cool, so cool. there there there's a lot so um, nick laid on me last movie uh of brosnan yeah Diamond. no the last movie was oh last movie was the world is not enough world's not enough yes from 1999 right mixed reviews if i remember correctly yeah mixed mixed reviews mixed yeah. reviews um and now it's still solidly did, did well mm-hmm. you know um these the Boston movies keep getting more and more successful, right? And they're eager to get to the next one. Which yeah. we'll t- which you ready to talk about it? Let's do it. All right. So we're talking about yes. Once again, the twentieth Eon Bond movie, Die Another Day from two thousand and two. Now immediately we're if- gonna die another day. <laughs> we're. I don't want to. Let's talk not. Let's not do this yet. I, ca- I can't. Not so Bonzilla. soon. Yeah. Eh, 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 eh. <laughs> I don't want to talk about really awful music <laughs> to start with. We have to, okay, all right, all right. I'll build up to that. Yeah. So, as so the 2002 release date is the first thing that gets set up at this movie, right. um, and it's because well, if you notice, you know, if you know with the previous Prozen movies, they've been doing like you know every two years. So, Goldeneye 95, Tomorrow Never Dies 97, World's Enough Another 99. You would think that uh, the 20th Bond movie would be in 2001, but that was not the case. Uh, but there's a very specific reason for that. Uh, so 2002 would be the 40th anniversary of both uh, the release of Dr. No from 1962 mm. and the writing of Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. It would be the 50th anniversary of that, uh, as well as the 20th Bond movie. So immediately, Barbara Broccoli, Michael G. Wilson, and MGM, they see a big marketing opportunity to make this the biggest Bond yet. By saying, hey, this is the 40th anniversary, this is the 20th Bond movie, it's the 50th anniversary of the Bond character overall, so let's, let's, we'll take the year, we'll take the, we'll take an extra year, we'll go into 2002. So, they just start discussing, they take a little break off of The World Is Not Enough, they've had these kind of quickly produced movies again, mm-hmm. but they, they take a little bit of a break and start in earnest later in the year 2000, and... One thing to note that I've really realized going over the the Wilson era of executive producing, even since his days doing, um, uh, you know, uh, Living Daylights and mm-hmm. stuff like that, is that Wilson is a lot more he's more willing to do politically charged storylines than Broccoli do, or that Cubby did. <laughs> right. Okay. Because Cubby, remember, famously in From Russia with Love, he was specifically like, "We don't want the Russians to be the actual villains." Because that could set off some stuff. We don't mm. want that to be a deal, so we'll just replace it with Spectre. Whereas Wilson was a lot more willing to do, like, what's going on in the real world right now? And so one of the things that Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson specifically discussed is, well, in this modern era, as we go into the new millennium, who is the new Russia? Who's going to institute this new Cold War? And the immediate answer was... North Korea. Right. Uh, so um, they do – one of the first things they do set up right away is that, okay, we're going to involve North Korea or North Koreans as villains. Now, maybe not necessarily the country is the villain, mm-hmm. but they're going to revolve the movie around that because mm-hmm. they kind of find, you know, 
they remember, you know, Wilson and Barbara Broccoli remember growing up in that era, obviously around the Bond movies, but also in that Cold War era. And then one of the things they distinctly remember is that kind of that mystery around Russia, you know, like what was going on over there. And they felt that kind of that was translating into the modern scape with North Korea. So they wanted to kind of play with that. Uh, so they bring back Purvis and Wade, who wrote World is Not Enough. And as mentioned, they're basically going to be writing or writing a version of all the Bond movies going forward as we get to Spectre and as we get to Bond 25, uh, the mysteriously movie 25, which we don't know what it is yet. <laughs> um, and what Purvis and Wade want to do is that they want to keep building into kind of exploring this Bond character. Uh, and so alongside Wilson and Barbara's North Korea idea, they pitch the initial opening of Bond getting captured in North Korea and tortured. Uh, originally, it was pitched for three years, but eventually it came down to uh, the 14 months that we see in the movie. Um, so basically a year and two months. Uh, and they thought that it would be super interesting to see a Bond in that position to something we've never seen them before, that he was kind of defeated, you know, because that's an element of real world spies, too, is that they get captured and, you know, you know, you hear the stories of real world World War II spies and... Mm-hmm. Cold War spies and they get captured by the enemy side and the trades and stuff like that that happen. So what would be Bond in that scenario? Especially if it was Bond who, you know, would he be treated like any other person, you know, that's been captured like that, you know? Uh, So that was something that was very eager for them to see. Uh, The rest of the script kind of comes along in that sense um, of just kind of building off of that. Originally there was more um, American involvement. There was actually a pitch where you'd find out that there was kind of Americans placed in someone from like in higher power to mm-hmm. like a dummy person or a dummy leader mm-hmm. that basically goes rogue. But then post September 11th, mm-hmm. they felt like that wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. So they kind of changed the American involvement in the movie. Um, but basically it's just kind of Purvis and Wade, Wilson and Barbara really work together. They really like working with each other, which is why Purvis and Wade have been doing all these movies. Um, but they would they would be constantly be going in and out of, you know, doing things of of pitching the movie, coming up with ideas, and we'll talk about a little some of the things that do kind of get shaped into the movie. But they were very much always on the same page, and even when they had disagreements, it was more so like from a creative perspective of more the debate. It wasn't really like the studio had this note or the producers had this note. It was more like from a creative perspective, those four really gelled together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as they're developing the movie, of course, they got to find another director. Mm-hmm. And the director they find is a man named Liam, Lee Tamahori. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Lee Tamahori is a New Zealand-based director uh, who directed one of Barbara Broccoli's favorite movies of the 90s, which was Once Were Warriors, which is about kind of gangs in New Zealand and kind of street life there. And she just loved the movie, thought it was one of the best movies of the 90s. And what they really liked about him is that for both Barbara, for... Um, Wilson and for Pierce Brosnan, they all, Tamahori reminded them all of Martin Campbell. Mm -hmm. They're both New Zealand born directors. They both thought they had a tenacity, kind of a dark edge to them. And that's what they were kind of looking for, especially with kind of how the movie opens up. So Lee reads the script and he reads that opening sequence. Like he literally leads the first paragraph, which is about, oh, three agents surfing and land in North (laughs) Korea. And he was like immediately like, I got to make this movie. Uh And what he really liked about the script is what he called the fire and ice duality. Right. They had this opening of kind of in these like drudgy locations in North Korea, Bond's captured. It's kind of really dark and twisted and and kind of stuff. And then (laughs) 
And then eventually, you know, have that he said you have the palate cleanser in the middle of going to Havana, Cuba, and London, and eventually you get to Iceland, and they got these all these big crazy action sequences. And so we like kind of like the duality of that mm-hmm. of the movie, and he wanted to really bring the kind of that to the forefront of the script. Um, so Lee does get involved with the creative process, and one of the big things he pitches, one of the big things he wants, is he wants a set of younger villains. Because we've had younger villains before in the franchise, mm-hmm. but he's always kind of had, well, the idea of the Bond villain is always like the older kind of grandfather, fatherly figure who like, you know, like that kind of... I suppose, yeah. I, I guess I never thought about it before, but... I mean, it's like, it's one of those things where if you really look at it, it's not particularly true, but there yeah. is like that image of like the maniacal old, like... Yeah, there's, but there's never... I can't think of any young Bond villains. Right. So uh, I guess I can so see that. So he really is involved with that, and he's really involved in kind of taking things to the next level um, in a lot of senses Um, in terms of, for example, when they were creating the character of Gustav Graves, which we'll talk about in a second with the casting, but he was very much like he wanted kind of a complex character um, where you could kind of deal with kind of the personal life of this character and kind of, or something, you know, some, his internal struggle, uh, which again, we'll talk more specifics about, you know, his father and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. we'll get into. Right. Uh, but he also was like, I also want someone who can do the maniacalness. That he doesn't need to do it, but like, if we, <laughs> if we want to bring it up to that level, right. we can. Yeah. And just like stuff like that, especially um, even on set. I'm gonna get this again a little ahead, but when we're when he, when they build the ice palace, uh, <coughs> which I'm which I'm sure we'll get to. But when, when we, that's getting this is getting ahead. But when, when he builds the ice palace, he sees the set. And he's like, oh, no, we got to insert a car chase in here. The set's too good not to have cars okay, flying through right. here. So then they have to rebuild some of the set so that they can get the track. I see, I see who we're dealing with here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but with that core creative team in place, right. uh, I want to start getting to the cast of this movie. Right. Brosnan's um, back. So Brosnan's back. Um, Judy Dench is back as them. Samantha Bond yeah. again as Moneypenny. Uh, John Cleese officially becomes Q. Yes. Uh, instead of being referred to as R, he officially takes over the Q role from the uh, deceased uh, Desmond Leland, mm-hmm. uh, which was very fortunate, uh, as, as Brosnan said, because Brosnan, remember, is an Irish per- man pretending, er, putting on a British accent, mm-hmm. and he had a, he has a very difficult time saying the letter R <laughs> in, his in, the, fake, in, in the, the fake British accent. That's funny. So he was very happy that Cleese became Q, and Cleese was like, well, I, I definitely fit in with the Q character because I hate technology. So right. that's what he said about the role. Oh, okay. Um, so first thing I want to talk about in terms of the casting is, is both of our female roles because mm-hmm. they kind of relate to kind of the production and, and the creative process behind this movie. Uh, so we also have, we have, of course, Halle Berry as Jinx. Yes. Full name Jinx Johnson. <laughs> yes. I noticed that. Yeah. Her <laughs> name is the Jinx movie Johnson. Went on. And we also have Rosamund Pike as uh, Miranda Frost. Yes. So <laughs> when I was talking about how uh, the producers of Broccoli and um, Wilson and the writers were kind of having this kind of more friendly debate. It really involves these two female characters because mm-hmm. they're basically kind of two sides, but not from a two sides of like one really felt passionate about the other is that there was a debate. So essentially their debate was is that in the original conception of the Miranda Frost character, Miranda Frost was actually um, named Galabrand. And Galabrand is a character from the Moonraker book that was mm. not used in the movie. It's basically the lead Bond girl of that book that was re- replaced by Dr. Gal- Holly Goodhead in the Moonraker movie. And in the book, she's a basically a Secret Service agent who's infiltrating 
in that in a book, Hugo Drax. Mm-hmm. So they come up with this character because one of the things they want to do is they want to put a lot of references to the Bond movies and the Ian Fleming books into the movie, even if it's just background work. So the idea was, hey, we'll take Kayla Brand and um, we'll put her in the CIA agent, like make her an agent working for the villain, but it turns out she's a good guy mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And then in original conception, Jinx was this American agent Bond was working with that was going to turn out to be the traitor. Oh, I see. Okay. So the debate became is that Wilson and Broccoli like the idea of, no, what, what if the American was the good guy? Because we like kind of like this sassy, you know, the sassy American kind of playing off Bond, but then they're, they're, they're working together. Right. And then what if the agent was the villain? Because we really never have played with that element of the spy game. We've never really played like, oh, Bond's ally in the government is actually the, you know, the traitor. Yeah. And then Purvis and Wade wanted the kind Even of... Even though that was their villain for Goldeneye. Yes. <laughs> well, well, but I mean, but I mean, like, but it's a little bit different. Like a side character. Yeah, more yeah. so like, it's like, oh, the Bond girl is actually like the Wait, villain. no, that was the... No, never mind. Okay, I'm just thinking about people who betrayed him now. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that was like, that was like, they kind of like, were like, well, that would be interesting just a way that we could play that. Right. Whereas Purvis and Wade were like, let's do the original kind of idea. But it was, again, it wasn't sort of like, which would be the better idea. The decision is made... When the agents of Holly Berry come to the Bond team and essentially say, we want her to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Holly Berry is very eager to be in a Bond movie. Like, well, like she, it, it she is, comes, it's also the early 2000s. Everybody true. wants Halle Berry. <laughs> everybody wants, so it's the same thing. It's like it's mutual descending. Yeah. And everybody agrees that if you're going to have Holly Berry in the movie, she's, you know, just because she's got to be the good guy. Like, right. she's got to be on the good side. So it's eventually decided, yes, that Jinx is the good guy. Jinx is going to be the hero character, uh, the hero Bond girl mm. that'll work with Bond. Uh, meanwhile, because like, now they've decided that the agent's going to be the traitor, it starts shifting away from what the Galabrand character was and that Purvis and Wade were like, well, if we're going to honor Fleming, we don't want to just use one of his characters and just mm. completely change it. So the character shifts a lot and becomes Miranda Frost. Mm. But because of that shift, it's very, very late into production that they have to cast the character. And so they audition a bunch of young British actresses because that's the idea again how Tori wants these young girl or young actors which we'll get to the other people um, and they find a freshly about to graduate college a graduate university I should say a young fresh faced Rosamund Pike <laughs> um, it's funny because she actually had to leave production for one day to attend her graduation ceremony for an English literature degree um, she was very kind of overwhelmed by taking the role like you can see her interview and like the making of on the dvd she's just so like wide-eyed just like this is totally out of her realm she Mm -hmm. was like kind of doing you know small acting things you know theater and stuff like that and to immediately kind of drop yourself into this big bond production was was really kind of a big you know world opener for for rosamund Mm -hmm. but uh, but that's kind of i just want to say that was kind of that stuff right there um so we have some villains as well I want to talk about. Um, we have Will Young Lee as Colonel Tenson Moon. Okay. Um, and and then Toby Steffens as Gustav Graves. <laughs> and uh, we really can't talk about this without saying they're the same person. <laughs> Spoiler alert for this movie, they do play the same person. Yes. So Toby Steffens, um, again, another young up-and-coming actor. Mm-hmm. Um, he... Was he was like he was one of those people that was like oh I if I can't play Bond I might as well play the Bond villain mm-hmm. uh, but he was kind of very much um you know kind of familiar with the 
with acting, of course. Like he was, <laughs> no, no, but I'm sorry. He was he was an up and coming actor. He hadn't had too many major roles at right, that time. Right. But he he was the uh, he's the son of Sir Robert Steffens and Maggie Smith, mm-hmm. um, who yeah, obviously are big name actors in, right. in British history. Professor uh, McGonagall, Maggie Smith. Yes. Okay. Yes. That that Maggie Smith. <laughs> okay. Um, what is interesting to note about Toby, um, other than the fact, and again, te- lead lead liked what he exactly what he said about the character is like. Toby, he said, could give it that edge, could give it the kind of the depth of like this guy who's trying to kind of please his country and please his father and mm-hmm. kind of, but also be insane. Mm-hmm. Like he could be insane if he needed it to be because he liked kind of having that option. Um, but Toby was very much eager to do, you know, be the Bond villain and right. do what it needed to be done to kind of make it memorable. Um, but also we have Rick Yoon. Yes. As Zhao. Uh, wait, Zhao. I think you mean infamous Bond sidekick, bad guy sidekick, henchman, Diamond, Diamond Face. Face. Yes. Uh, so Rick Yoon was. Kind I don't want to. I don't want to spoil that. Why we call him Diamond Face? Well, I don't want to spoil it, Nick. That that's for the when we talk about the thing. Okay. Why we call him Diamond Face? All right. Um. So. Rick Yoon was coming off a starring role uh-huh. in the first Fast and the Furious movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which, side note, the first Fast and the Furious movie came out in 2001. I was just, I was just about to ask that. <laughs> 2001. <laughs> Look how, at the mess we're in now. <laughs> yes. Oh, how we were so blind to what could be. So what's interesting about Rick is that Rick really, really, really wanted to play Colonel Moon. Mm-hmm. Like, and Tomahori was insistent he plays Zhao. Mm-hmm. And because he was like, listen, the Colonel Moon character, you're only in the movie for like the first act, like the first part of the movie, the opening sequence. You're not there. Meanwhile, as Zhao, you, you've bald, you're a diamond face. <laughs> like literally, he said, you, 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 don't, you know you don't want to spoil No, no, no. It. We can't spoil but why like, his name is Diamond like, Face. He's like, like, you got diamond face, you're bald. <laughs> You get to chase cars on ice. You're awesome, man. Why don't you want to play Zhao? And then eventually he was. Hey, I'm Zhao. Okay. Uh, so that's basically the main kind of cast. Right. Of the movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, we do get a cameo from the singer of the of the title song, which again I, I will save for the movie. <laughs> who could the singer of this song be? Nick, who is it? I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> and there's some other casting things I'll mention in the movie as well. But for now, we're gonna get to the production. Yes. The always fun productions, except for the last one. The last one was pretty smooth, but this one, this one is a classic. This Bond one, production. well, this one had a nice palace, yes. so it's like we'll you talk, know well, you yes. can't. It's so, only gonna go, but so smooth. All right, so production officially begins on December twenty fifth, two thousand and one, mm-hmm. Christmas Day, uh, because they have to film that opening shot of the three spies surfing. One of them, which turns out to be Bond and his two friends. Um, so it's tradition they get an actual surfer. You know, they we've done a lot of skiing stuff where they've gotten the actual skiers yes. to do it. He's very happy that it wasn't skiing. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, it was done by American surfer Layard Hamilton. Layard. Layard. I would assume it's Layard. Is it L A I R D? Yes. Layard. Layard yeah. Hamilton. Yeah. It's just weird to call someone Layard. Yeah, it's fine. I mess up the Japanese names all the time, so yeah. I guess you get one. Yeah. So <laughs> also, I'm not good with names. So. Um, so he's a professional surfer and he, you know, the bond team comes to him for the production and says, well, how can we make this work? And so first of all, he says, you have to do it in like December, January, which is like fine. Cause that's when the production is starting. But like, that's like the top, you know, surf days of the year, you know, right around Christmas. Perfect. So, uh, and he says that the perfect place to get this shot 
where he consistently gets waves is Jaws Beach mm. in Maui, uh, in Hawaii. Um, but they go, they actually start going there about December 20th because mm-hmm. they have to be there for the waves. You know, it's one of those things. If you ever know about sh- shooting surfing in movies, it's a very arduous process because you have to you have to wait on the weather. Mm-hmm. It's like in it's like in uh, the Aviator when they're looking for clouds. Oh yeah, in yeah. Oakland. <laughs> um, clouds, Mister Hughes. Um, but eventually, on Christmas Day, they do get their waves, and they're just like, "Okay, let's go, let's go, let's get this out," and everything's pretty perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does very well. Waves are look good. Jaws Beach, no sharks. We're all good. <laughs> Uh, so it seems like production is coming off to a very smooth start. Mm-hmm. Oh, that will soon change. So the official big production, the main unit production, begins uh, a couple weeks later on January 14th, 2002. They do basically all the stuff in, with M's office, with the virtual reality stuff that's in the movie, um, and all the stuff with Q. Uh, the production team has a lot of fun with Q's office, it being the you know the 40th anniversary in the 20th mm-hmm. Bond movie. It's We'll talk about more specifically in the film, but if you look... There's a lot of different props from the previous years. Right, of Bond. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of fun that had to be had with that. Uh, so the first main action sequence is next. the next thing on January 21st, uh, which is the hovercraft sequence in the opening of the movie. Uh, so the idea with the hovercrafts is that, you know, uh, Moon in the movie basically, there's the demilitarized zone in North Korea that's filled with mines mm-hmm. that basically, so the North and the South can't really cross it. Uh, but. Th- Moon uses hovercrafts to kind of get over it, which was actually proven by Mythbusters a couple years later to be a plausible way to get over the demilitarized zone. So, not that ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Lee did not like working with the hovercrafts because they were hard to move, they were hard to turn, and it, you had to be very much on your game with mm-hmm. them. Uh, one thing I should mention is too was very interesting because usually the Bond movies go on location. Um, but for this movie, there's a lot less location work because the places they choose are all places they can't really go. Mm-hmm. So like North Korea, you, you can't film in North Korea. Like you just, you can't. So they use a, a military field just outside of London as kind of for the North Korea scenes. Um, they also choose to set the movie in Cuba and they want this, you want the film in Cuba, but American sanctions at that time did not allow any American companies, including MGM, to film in Cuba. Uh, so instead, they filmed that in Spain. And then for the Iceland, the Ice Palace stuff, there is an actual Ice Palace out there, but on an average day, it's below 35 degrees mm-hmm. Fahrenheit. So they're like, we're not going to do that. So they basically build the Ice Palace out. So the, really, the only locations they have is Pinewood in London, and then they do film in Iceland, which I do want to get to. That's a very important story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But anyways, uh, so they were filming this hovercraft sequence, and on uh, one of the first days of shooting with with uh, Brosnan in these hovercrafts, mm-hmm. he uh, run. You know, he's doing a scene where he's running and he jumps into the hovercraft doing a take, and he injures his knee. And at first, Brosnan's gonna gut it out. Brosnan's like, I I can't I I can't shut down this production. So. He's basically being seen by sports trainers every day. He's getting iced every day. He's resting as much as he can. But his, his knee seems like it's a lot worse than, than Brosnan's letting on. And eventually, later in February, when they're filming the interiors of the gene therapy clinic, there's a scene where kind of all the fire alarms and the fire sprinklers have gone off and there's water all over the place. And on his injured knee, Brosnan slips and completely, completely blows it out and basically worsens the injury. 
And so for the first time in Bond history, they do have they shut down production for basically a week and a half as they try to figure out what they're going to do with Brosnan. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it's determined that Brosnan does need surgery uh, on his knee. It's not a major surgery, but it is a surgery nonetheless. Jeez. So Brosnan is absolutely gutted. He's like, I screwed it this up. I've, I've messed up this production. Um, but he was determined to come back as strong as ever. Um, so basically, he is, he is flown to America to get the surgery. And the Bond team restarts the production and basically does everything they can without Bond. They basically shoot all of N's stuff. They they shoot all the stuff with kind of in the M offices and all that stuff is done mm-hmm. by the time Brosnan comes back. So Brosnan has the surgery on February 22nd and essentially comes back early March. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the early March stuff, he's not 100%. He comes back a little bit early because he's like, I got to get onto this movie. Um, so... There are some scenes that they had to reshoot because he was basically limping around uh, <laughs> in the scenes. But he was absolutely determined, you know, and, and Robert Broccoli called him bionic. Uh, Brosnan blames the injury on him not stretching that day. He's like, well, it's good we know, have that on record. Yes, I suppose. He's like, I, I just didn't stretch. You know, I, I she's like, I thought it was the super spy, but even super spies need the stretch, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, they they finish up as much as they can and they move on to Spain. Um, but uh in Spain, they're expecting the nice weather because it's supposed to be a double for Cuba. So they're going to go to the Spanish beaches mm-hmm. to do that that sequence. You know, they're doing the things basically on the outside of the, G- the gene therapy clinic. But the, immediately the weather does not cooperate with them. It's rainy every day. It's cloudy every day. It's, um, you know, it's just really cold. You know, it was like they're supposed to be in these sun gear and stuff like that. So if you notice actually in the movie when Zhao is escaping the helicopter, mm-hmm. if you look very closely, it's raining in those shots because they just <laughs> you see the grounds wet. You're right. Like it's funny because like I noticed because I watched the bonus features and then I watched the movie and like yeah, it's very clear that the, there's rain, there's clouds, there's stuff like that. Um, and they were very worried that they weren't going to be able to get the big halle berry bikini shot right mm-hmm. because this was also a very specific reference this was an homage to ursula andrus and dr no mm-hmm. her coming out of the water in that movie so they wanted to get that very well very much done so there was talk of well let maybe we can do it later maybe we can find a beach in london to do because of some, some reason the one london weather is better than uh this movie uh, or the the weather here when we're shooting in spain right right right, right. but on their last day, the sun comes out and it's, you know the beautiful weather they're expecting. So they actually extend the Spain shoot a couple of days and get get the shots that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but another big thing that happens in Spain is another injury. Mm-hmm. In that there's an explosion, as there are in these movies, and some of the explosion, some of the debris gets into Holly Berry's eye, mm. and she has to get basically a minor thirty minute kind of cornea surgery just to like get it out. And get some eye drops. Barry is insistent because she didn't stretch. <laughs> she's not. Barry is insistent that it's not a big deal. Uh-huh. But the media turned it into a big f- fracas uh-huh. because also during this time was when Holly Berry won her Oscar mm-hmm. for Monsters Ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was be the first Bond woman to be cast to basically the movie would release after her Oscar win. So mm. the Bond team was very excited. Also, funny note about that Oscar ceremony is that at that Oscars. Holly Berry uh, presented the Sound Awards, and one of the winners of sound design for Black Hawk Down was the sound designer for Die Another Day. Uh, that she okay, from all, the right, all right, all right, IMDb, all right, yeah, 
Calm down. <laughs> Sorry, this comes from the bonus features. Yeah, Excuse I know. Me. That's such an IMDb yeah. like stretch of a connection. Yeah. So, but anyway. they knew each other from the production. Yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, so now the next major thing. So already they've had these things. You know, they've had this messed up. They mm-hmm. had the Spain shoot messed up. You know, and now they got to do the big Iceland shoot. Mm-hmm. So for Iceland, they find this lake that's traditionally frozen every year mm-hmm. that would be thick enough to do a car chase on. And Lee's like, this is my big scene in this movie. This is the reason I'm doing this movie is this car chase on the ice. Um, but the problem is, you know, even in 2001 and 2002, global warming was a thing. <laughs> And so the the winter of December and January in in Finland was the hottest on record, and so the ice was was freezing, but not freezing enough for cars to safely go on. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, is that it's a connected to the sea, and when it's not cold enough, some of that seawater seeps into the river, and basically salt water doesn't freeze, at least at the right traditional temperatures. Right. So basically, the water wasn't freezing correctly. So now the Bond team's really panicking because they've already had all these issues and now like their big car chase, this big Nature just doesn't want this movie doesn't to happen. Nature doesn't want this movie to happen. So they discuss possibly moving the shoot to Alaska, but that would be insanely expensive to do at the last minute because they have to get the permits and then they have to get the permission and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, even even for a big budget movie like this, it would be absolutely insane to kind of get through. Um, but their Finland cord- or their Iceland coordinator, excuse me, uh, their Iceland coordinator is like, no, we, we got this. We have a thing we can try. It's not 100% guaranteed the work, but we can try it. Mm-hmm. So, because the, the Iceland people really want this movie there. So, basically what they do is the Iceland folks, the Iceland film folks, dam off all the rivers from the sea. So, create, basically, just completely change, da- <laughs> dam everything up. Right. <laughs> and basically, they're like, well, if the salt water doesn't get in, uh-huh. should freeze, okay. Uh-huh. Luckily enough... It was the coldest February on record. Uh-huh. So in combination, the cold February plus the damming caused that ice to get as thick as possible. Yeah. And uh, they were able to do their shoot. I, I love ice how ice. this production has just become a man versus nature in the length man will go to yes. to die another day. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do that car chase on the, uh, on the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's originally set up for uh, the stuntmen to do it there. And then Brosnan and um, Rick Yoon will do um, their other, you know, their inserts back around Pinewood. Right. Uh, Pinewood is where they also build the uh, the Ice Palace set. Mm-hmm. Uh, the out the exterior is is a miniature um, and kind of forced perspective type of deal. The interiors are all on the Pinewood sound stages. Again, we're retroactively fitted to do a car chase in because Lee saw the sets like this is an amazing set. We need to do this. Um, the ice was basically mostly plastic, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was is set up to flood and everything like that for when the big Icarus thing happens. <laughs> um, now, there's another thing to note about this movie, is it's a one of the things that Lee really wanted to do was use CG mm-hmm. and computer graphics. Okay, which there was some pushback on the Eon team because traditionally the Bond franchise is known for going to insane lengths to do these insane stunts. Sure. You know, we've had like jumping off the Eiffel Tower. We've had this multiple halo jumps and skydives. Doing right. Doing takes to do that. You know, jumping off an actual cliff, like stuff like that. But Lee's argument was that, listen, Bond's always been on the forefront of this stuff. And if you, 
you know, if you don't use this stuff, if you don't use the tools, there's just another tool to use. If you don't use the tools, the other action films are going to use them and they're going to take you over. And Lee was just like, I want, I want to work with this stuff. I want to introduce it. And I'm, he's like, I was nervous to do so. I was nervous because I could, I could fail spectacularly, but I felt it was important to, to put my mark on there. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to use the CG. I wanted to do things that you could not do Mm -hmm. traditionally. Um, and that is a major kind of focus of the criticism of that movie too. Yeah, so we, we that we may have to like in the movie talk about the results of that, but yes. that is very good to know, mm-hmm. like going into it. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, like the nature things aside, the injuries <laughs> aside, um, the rest of the filming, you know, they do most of the rest of the stuff at Pinewood. But mm-hmm. again, it's, it's you know, with with some few stuffs in London, again, just like in the world is not enough. They actually start do do some filming in London, um, and stuff like that. And there's there are you know more ways to get that uh, done. And so, uh, go ahead. So no, I was just saying. So you have a eager go get him director. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the elements trying to prevent this movie from being happened, forcing mankind to intervene in yes. nature in order to in order to deliver this episode mm-hmm. and. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's just yeah. it's just funny how, and, and it's, especially it's also, in comparison to the last movie, and it's because also a movie that starts out as like okay, we're we're really paying homage to the Bond history, because right. um, even like the title Die Another Day came very late into production. It was actually announced when filming started. All all the people knew. It's kind of like how this this Bond Twenty Five is turning out. Is that when when the production started, all anybody knew it was was Bond Twenty. That's mm. nobody. They did not announce. Usually they had the press conference where they announced the title. This time they they had the press conference, but they just had there's no titles of yet. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where Brosnan quipped, "If anybody has a good idea, please shout it out." Uh, but eventually they come up with the "Die Another Day" title. Basically, is also an homage to Fleming because as, as Michael G. Wilson put it, it comes from a line from the movie. Obviously, um, you live to die another day. Um, but he said like Fleming did that all the time. He's just like using a real phrase, right. but just kind of twisting it into kind of using yeah, it as, like, it's a valid, as a spy name. Yeah, it's so a it's valid like, one. You know, using this real phrase, you know, who those who run away live to die another day. And um, he just felt like that was like a very Fleming-esque title. Yeah, absolutely. But this is basically kind of what the what the production was. All there right. Was, there was a lot to it. It was a lot of injury, a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the weather, as you said, um, and a lot of star power with, with Holly Berry and stuff like that. But Nick, as always, has all the trouble been worth it? And we will see after the break. Let's go on a break and go into the quote. And warned me this would happen. Oh, that's why you tried so hard not to be interested in Oh, me. God, you're even worse than your father says. Yeah. Remember, I know all about you, 007. Sex for dinner, death for breakfast. Well, it's not going to work with me. No? No. You're getting good at this. Oh, stop it. Are we still being watched? Well, they left ages ago. Oh, God, you're impossible. And we're back. Please don't sing. (laughs) And now we're back to talk about the movie. It's time for Die Another Day. (laughs) So this was... Yeah, so it's Die Another Day. So this was always interesting because I had seen, as I said... I believe this may have been my first Bond movie, mm-hmm. but it, you go into it knowing all the stuff about Bond. Like I, yeah. I knew it wasn't like I was completely new to who, who James Bond was, right. but this yeah. was the first one I sat down and watched and all watched, the way through. Yeah. 
And uh, so I remember seeing it. And uh, the thing about a movie like this is like, so this is kind of the movie that everybody kind of unanimously like kind of says like, this is like the Bond jump the shark movie. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, this is uh, this is basically the low point of uh, this is the Batman and Robin. The uh, what's another low point for a franchise? This is the Attack of the Clones. This is this is every yeah. this is all that stuff. There, there's there's this is the movie that people are like it's just way too over the top, yeah. way too silly. This is not the Bond that we. That this is be what there. and uh, and it's and it's always funny for me in a movie like that because I especially retrospectively I was going to a movie like that when I hear so many people say it. Most of the time, I usually think like everybody's just kind of like being like way too over the top. They, I think they may have, they may be onto it on this one, Nick. This one was, uh, we've okay. Here, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say it. We've officially gone into so bad it's good territory. Yes, it's bad. Yeah, it, but it, it's <laughs> there. There is this movie. It's really weird because. It's like the, all the same movie. Like I don't give it that. You know, there's there, it's connected, but also this is kind of a tale of two separate movies. There's like the interesting. Fir- there's the first part of this movie where it's like, oh, you know, it's not. Well, it's not. You know, it's like the the whole torture thing, which we'll get into. It's like Bond's captured and tortured, and the kind of this big actual like, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> This is an audio format, Nick. The, <laughs> what are you the, doing? The waterboarding. I'm trying oh. to, the waterboarding getting hit. <laughs> what well, is, you know, how is this waterboarding? I, I, I was trying to think of the word. Yeah. You know, here's the perfect description of this movie. Yeah. The perfect description of this movie is the opening song sequence. Because you have this really dark, yeah. really edge, like, Bond getting waterboarded, torture, psychologically damaged. Mm-hmm. Wow. The absolute most garbage pop song by madonna plays i'm gonna die another day it It sounds like the cd skipping it sounds like it's missing words it sounds like and with the the visual like the bond uh you know opening segment animation i said it looked and sounded like the videos they would just have playing at a bowling alley and mm-hmm. Dave and Buster's. Yeah. Like, just, like, weird, just, you know, digital women dancing, and then this just like... Yeah, but it's like... that. But that's what I'm talking about, how, like, they 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 put those two together. It's like that dark, you know, twisted torture right, right. with, like, kind of the, the silly, over-the-top See, pop song. See, I, I think you're because- giving it a lot of credit by saying it's two movies. I just think it's just one just bad movie yeah but i like, I, I think i think i i completely got where he was coming from yeah because he was thinking like oh like this is this is all dark but it's like cool dark yeah it's like you know we're seeing bond like you know be a badass so and what's more badass than a song like this here here's my i think well here's here's my thing i just think that like if you place there is a version of this movie mm-hmm. where you do that same sort of opening sequence, and then you basically make you know a more GoldenEye-ish movie out of that. Like, right. I, I think there is a transition where you could make that, but the problem is they go from that and just keep ramping up the absurdity, ramping up the ridiculousness, and it creates this thing that's not great, but is entertaining at some point. Okay, here, here's my big how I've described the movie. Yeah. Die Another Day. 
And by the way, this is the first movie in a while that I've taken active notes for. This, and most yeah. of my notes are just—it is like the most. I'm in the middle of talking, <laughs> but I—I I wanted. To, it's just like it is like the first kind of like this type of movie we've had in a long right. time, even between the Godzilla and and the and the Bond movies. So most of my notes are like just little phrases that I will say just to remind me of what my actual thought was. But die. Here's what I wrote: Die another day. A movie trying too hard to be a dumb blockbuster. <laughs> because there's just so many elements. Like it. It looks like this movie is exactly what like an eager, over eager director thinks the James Bond movies are. Yeah. Like he's the guy who comes in. He's like, oh yeah, I love James Bond. I love the wacky bad guys. I love the gadgets. I love just how like crazy it gets sometimes. And then he made a movie. But wait, was- but it's like well I also like how kind of how kind of serious it gets sometimes too, right? Like he likes like Goldeneye and stuff like that. Right. Like, like like he's like, oh license to kill, like how Bond's, you know, friend almost got killed that was great like that there's drama there so we get some drama but also like the crazy gadgets and stuff you make a perfect bond movie yeah but he's the guy who remembers like oh there was a jetpack in one yeah so obviously there's got to be like a robot suit in this one at some point like that's what i'm saying it yeah. like in the movie <laughs> tries so hard to add all those elements to be a fun dumb blockbuster mm-hmm. and none of it is like it, it it just never comes together as a good movie because it's just so relentlessly dumb. Like it really is just a dumb movie. Yeah, it's stupid. That's it, that's it is, the craziest thing it about has, it. It has like so many elements, like little moments that just stand out as like oh. But there's like moments like why this? Yes. Like why why are we adding this element? Okay, yeah. so basically, as we've said, the movie is Bond gets kidnapped. In North Korea. Yeah, so basically, so Bond's on a mission in North Korea. He's trying to get this, this Colonel Moon guy. Right. Uh, he's he's posing as a diamond salesman. He's selling conflict diamonds from Africa to this Colonel Moon. Right. Uh, and he's posing as, like, the seller so that he can kind of get Right, right. But uh, that goes south. The he, one he gets, the he gets colonel recognized gets killed. As Bond. Yeah, he gets recognized. They do the hovercraft yeah. chase, and the colonel seemingly is killed. Yeah, he gets killed. Bond is kidnapped for a little bit over a year. Yeah. And Bond is captured by the colonel's father. Yeah, and basically, in, in like, which skipped over a much more interesting movie because, like, so right before he's given up, like Bond's given up, he has like this conversation with like the colonel's dad, mm-hmm. who, like, let's let's be clear is North Korean. Yes. But seem like a reasonable dude. Like he's like, "Listen, I know my son was crazy." Like like and they even have this conversation where he's like even the dad is kind of aware of like, "Yeah, maybe like if, if my son was going to get killed, it was cuz North Koreans were going to execute him, not mm-hmm. because like you were going to kill him." Right. Yeah, it. it's like, like and it was I, like, like a, it was, I know he was insane. I know he had the American friend that was kind of, you know, right. bringing this way like like that's what they know. It's like he had some American ally that was kind of feeding him information, right. but he was like even by North Korea standards insane. But I was like, that's like an interesting movie right there. Like that's like an interesting like back and forth with mm-hmm. those characters. Like I would want to see that played out a little bit. So well, it's like cuz I, I just like just I'm, I'm sorry. I have to go back to that opening song. Yeah, because got to go back to the not that part of the song. song. I don't want to talk about that song. Oh, I sorry. Talk about die. So this day. is also noted, like it's also noted in everything in in my Bond book, on the features, on the bonus features, on IMDb, on Wikipedia. Everywhere it's like, 
oh, this is the first Bond opening credit sequence that actually features important plot, where because it's going over him being tortured. But like, if you want to lessen the impact of James Bond right. being in North Korea for 14 months, you overlay the torture, which you can barely be seen with the like diamond aesthetic, right. with that freaking song. I remember when I, early on, on one of the bonus features on one of the, on the Bond 50, there's like an option where you can just play all the opening sequences in order. And mm-hmm. I did that one day when I was doing some work. And all the songs, I'm like, all these songs are like, you know, some of them are, are good. Some of them are then, not Then, not then that good. one just hits you like and a truck. And it's just like, you know, even like, like a truck. And it's just like, you hear it just immediately, immediately you're just like, dit, 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 and I just started laughing. There is a. It's, um, it's so bad. Yeah. There's a uh, a good character moment, though, in this opening. Well, after the opening, right before Bond's given up, where I forget what the line is, but Bond says something. Like, some one of the prison guys says something to him, like, oh, how's your stay? And then Bond just, like, cracks, like, a joke. Yeah. But, like, after being tortured. I just thought that was, like, a good character moment mm-hmm. because it, like, you know, you got to, like, establish what makes this guy different. It's like, oh, he's still, you know, cracking the jokes every... Uh, you know, even after yeah. over a year of being tortured. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so he gets escaped, and then like the mission is like. Well, yeah, he gets traded. Well, he gets traded. Yeah, sorry, no, he doesn't escape. He gets he, traded he, he... and put in the hands. Of oh my the- god. Okay. My- so so, J- Zhao, who yeah. was uh Colonel Moon's like you know right hand man, uh, he gets into an accident that christens him one of the best Bond villains ever. As I mentioned before, the infamous Diamond Face. Right. And I promised that we, when we got to the to the talking about the movie, I would say why they call him Diamond Face. Well, that's why you call him Diamond Face. No, no, no. No one else in the movie calls him Diamond Face. It's because he's got diamonds in his face. Right, because Bond had the had the briefcase of diamonds when he was in his thing, but he set up an explosion yeah. underneath them. Yeah. And so when Zhao's kind of taking care of the diamonds, they explode in his face, right. and he has diamonds basically like... Embedded in, in his, embedded face. his face. And therefore, his name is Diamond Face. Yes. So he gets traded for Zhao, and Bond's like, I'm going to kill you at some right. point. But Zhao's like, I'll kill you first. And then Bond gets in the nice hands of one Michael Madsen, yeah, you were very amused. Why is he, he in this movie? He's the American guy. He's like he does the most smug Michael Madsen. He's like because he's he, the American. He's like smoking a cigarette. It's like this, this guy thinks he's a hero when he's actually not a hero, man. Um, not as bad as the uh, Ben Stiller impression no. from last episode, but yeah, still not top marks. No, uh, um, but, but the mission. What like what's the mission? So the so well, it's kind of. He doesn't actually have a mission because what ha- what happens is Bond goes back, he's traded back, and he's he's all done. He's he's medically examined, in which the medical examiner says, "Oh, he's got a really messed up liver, so it's definitely James Bond." <laughs> um, but then eventually M comes to him and basically yeah. says, "Well, we don't know. We think you leaked information because there was this incident where Zhao killed." Or someone was an American agent was killed, yeah. and the information said it would come from your cell, um, and you're the only person in that prison. So we don't know if you've been compromised. So we're stripping you of your double O name, right. and we're getting you basically okay. revamped. This led so to bond, something. Basically, a bond escapes, and he's out for revenge. He's trying to find Zhao. Um, Diamond Face. Diamond Face. He's trying to find Zhao, trying to basically get revenge, and it leads to like finding out more machinations to the plot. Th- this this is what really annoyed me was there's this scene where. Bond is in the medical like facility mm-hmm. and he's in the bed and he is able to slow his heart rate down 
to the point of like that yeah. they think he's dead, and when right, they come flat to check on him, it literally flat he flatlines himself. And then when they come to rescue him, then he beats them up and then like goes on his merry way. And I'm just like, you're not Batman, dude. Like, it's like, this was like the movie where it's like, all right, Bond is not like Earth's greatest human. No. Like, you know, he's suave, and but he's not like a, no, he's, he, he's, he's been, not like, he doesn't have those types of tricks. Right, like he's invented as like the super spy, but he also, the best of these movies is when it presents him as like a regular dude. Right. Like, like that's what works about stuff like Goldeneye for Euros only. And even what I like most about the Dalton movies is like they present him as just this regular dude who is a very talented at his job, does right. very well at what he does, and he's basically built to be a spy. Yeah. Um, and but he's not. He's right. He's not the person who can slow his heart rate down to the point where he flatlines. Yeah. Um. um then we're introduced to Jinx pretty soon. Yeah. After so basically, that. he goes. Basic. Well, he goes to Hong Kong first uh, to get information. Sure. About where Zhao yeah. is. Yeah. Well, I mentioned this because he meets up with Mister Chang. Yeah. In the in the original drafts of the script, that was supposed to be Michelle Yao's character. Oh, that's interesting. Um, because MGM really, really liked Michelle Yao uh-huh. and was really, really eager to get her back involved with Bond. So eventually, eventually it was completely changed to be the hotel and that whole thing. But eventually, originally, it was funny, on the bonus features, there's a close-up of the script and you can clearly see the Wyland, uh the lines mm-hmm. for her. Um, but she eventually just, they couldn't negotiate the, the schedule. So mm-hmm. she was cut. Well, she, he goes to Hong Kong. Uh, he, you know, tricks, you know, he's supposed to get a massage, but the Chinese are spying on him. But there's like, no, I just want information on Zhao because he killed your men. They say he's in Cuba. Bond goes to Cuba, meets up with like a guy there, basically gets information. And uh, yes, eventually meets Jinx. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to mention, so he meets the guy, he meets his friend in Cuba and he takes the book he's like, how can I borrow this? And he takes the book binoculars and the gun. Yeah. Um, the book is birds of the West Indies by James Bond, mm. which is the book that Ian Fleming used to name the characters. Well. Oh. So it's another reference to the <laughs> Bond thing, but that's, and also why, that's, when, that's why Bond's cover to Jinx is that he's in a, He's a bird watcher, yeah. Because that's where the James, that's who the original James Bond that he got the name from was a was an orth, orthologist. Uh, I don't know how I feel about Jinx because Here's, I think that Jinx. It's funny that I've joked so much about like what this Jinx spinoff is. I mean, but here's here's my biggest thing about. I don't find anything about Jinx. That we like really haven't seen before. Well, no, like it's like she is just like the capable. I mean, the one thing they do do is like they completely avoid like I get you buy, like I like you walk out of the movie remembering like oh yeah Halle Berry is Jinx yeah. like so it's like they could have done something I, with it. They here's could've... my thing about Jinx. Yeah, I think the way they set her up in this movie, she's essentially just. A girl, James Bond, because the way she does it is like, oh, she she talks about like she even she's like, oh, my relationships don't last. She's likes having sex, you know. She has some quips. She's a spy. She basically right. she's basically just Bond, but with a little bit level less role and female. Like that's yeah. really what it is. There's nothing much unique about the Jinx character. It's just like she is kind of sassy. She kind of has her quips, but again, Bond has his quips. And right. She, she, they, they have passionate sex, but it's also like she's looking for the sex and you know all that sort of stuff. And she's, you know, kind of like Bond. She'll leave in an instant, and she, she does what she needs to do. And, right. and I just feel like that's what they were setting up. They were just setting up to be like, but hey, it's I kind found of, it's kind of a girl Bond. I found that like but maybe less, it's because it's the movie itself 
just like nothing has impact after a while. Like yeah. I felt like her role in her, her, just her presence in the movie felt very like, I, I want to say her presence felt minimized, but then after a while, it's just like, oh, yeah, now Rosamund Pike is here. Yeah. And then, like, oh, yeah, the, because even, like, the bad guy of the movie doesn't really show up until pretty late into the movie. Yeah. Not, like, late, late, late but, but, like, like yeah. there's a lot of screen time before. Because yeah. well, all the Cuba stuff happens before we even know who the bad yeah. guy is. Because it's, like, again, because at first, Bond's just looking for Zhao. That's yeah. it. And then eventually... Eventually, they go to, um, you know, Bond tracks him down to a gene therapy clinic. Yeah. We'll talk about the gene therapy yeah, thing. Yeah, but basically, they, they find him there. Zhao escapes. Holly Berry escapes as well. Yeah. Uh, Jinx. Uh, basically, like, they're, they're both running after Zhao. Holly Berry's, like, cornered, but she's like, I'll jump off the cliff and into the water and be fine. Uh, but eventually, they find one of the diamonds uh, that, that Zhao had on him. Mm-hmm. And they link it to uh, this, this rich... Uh, British playboy yes. named Gustav Graves. Yeah, and the idea is is that Gustav Graves, Bond, and M both sus- have sus- suspicions of him because he found a diamond mine in in Iceland mm. and event- and basically kind of immediately rose to prominence, donated half his things to charity, just came out of nowhere. And, and, and this so guy is like he's introduced by like skydiving out of like a like he's a skydiving plane. out of a plane and then like having reporters ask him, "Do you even sleep?" Yeah, I cu- okay, so that like really like um <laughs> Um, just like a reporter asked him the legitimate question, is it true that you don't sleep? Yeah. Like, what kind of journalism is that? <laughs> what do you mean? Because <laughs> other other reporters like you've been you've been working on this uh this Icarus space program. Can you tell us any more about like 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 all these things? And, and he's got like such like just like that just the villain smirk, like like it, smug asshole. It, smirk. It's like one of those things where it's just a guy that there's no pretense about. He's the bad guy of yeah. the movie. But like so, so yeah. So him and Bond finally meet. Yeah. So basically, Bond tracks him down, drops down two soft graves to a, like a fencing club. Yes. In, in which he meets Madonna. Yes. Okay. Playing yeah, yeah. a woman named Verity. Yeah. Who's basically like the old flame that he knows that like it like runs this club essentially. Right. Uh, and she he discovers she tells him more about Gustav, mm-hmm. uh, more about uh, Miranda Frost, right, who's, right. A, who's an Olympic champion because. Her opponent OD'd on steroids. Yeah. Um, and eventually, yes. So basically, she's like, do you want me to introduce you to Gustav? And she's like, of course. Okay, so I got to paint this image. So Do it. What happens is – because if I remember correctly, Nick, like was there a moment – what – okay, I will say this movie – this is the movie moment where the movie took a turn. There is also another moment in this movie where I, I left the apartment for a second because yeah. I just couldn't handle it. So basically, they meet each other. It's so just quickly that it's like Bond's the good guy. This guy is the bad guy, which I guess makes sense in retrospect now yeah. that you know like what the, the, is, yeah. the twist is. But so they're very contentious, but like kind of like playfully, like oh, like they're they're just doing the Bond like, are, like, are you, good are, guy are, bad are, guy are, thing. You know, it's like they're a fencing club. Are you a gambling man? Why don't we gamble right you know, for for some fencing? So. They start fencing, yeah, uh, and they're just doing normal fencing. I've done fencing, Will's, so Will's fence. I, I fenced before, and uh, so they're going at it. And at one point, Bond gets a move on him that Gustav Graves like gets like nicked in the hand. It's just like ah, 
ah, damn it. Like, just like he's just really taken aback by it, which, to be fair, wrong little Nick on with a, with a, uh, uh, with, a fo- with a fencing foil, as it were, uh, at the right part of the wrist would hurt. Mm-hmm. It would sting a little bit. So I'm going to give him that. But then, yes. Then he's like, okay, all right, Bun. You know what? Takes off some of his fencing gear, throws down his fencing sword, goes up to the wall, which is like an armory wall. Yeah. Picks up two legit swords out of the two wall. Two broad swords. Two broad swords and says, first. <laughs> First one who draws blood from the torso wins. But it's but it's like the thing is like it goes. I was from, like, what? No, it's like goes from zero to sixty because like ah, oh man, that hurt. All right, I see your game. First one to the first one to draw blood from the torso wins. Like, <laughs> he throws, throws the sword. sword. Like, but he goes like from so like calm and like kind of like you know the British like. It was I'm, just I'm such okay. an extreme reaction. Like and and then. This sword fight happens. Yeah, then the sword fight. It's one of those sword, like those Pirates of the Caribbean sword, sword fights fight. that, like, they're they're like they end up like going throughout the entire like, like they're building. They're jumping off tables. They're throwing and... the swords at each other. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna look picking at... up even so, broader swords. So remember how I said that I remember seeing this movie on yeah. my stars when I was a kid. Yeah. This was the scene I specifically remember watching. This scene has always stuck with me, and I have. A genuine love for this scene because it's so absurd. Here's here here's uh here's here's my note. First blood drawn from the torso wins, and in parentheses I say the moment I decided to shit on this movie. And my other note for this is Bond is a maniac for agreeing to this, and they have legit swords. Yes, <laughs> but like I don't know this this is like the main entertaining sequence of the movie to me. Yeah, like, this is. It was just so crazy that this is, that's how... That is the scene that I... like. That's the scene that I would just put on this movie just to watch that scene. I just uh, think it's it's so bad because it's so absurd out of nowhere. Yeah, and yeah. like, Because here's the thing, too. Because, again, we've mentioned in the prologue that, like, okay, Gustav Graves is actually Colonel Moon. So, obviously, Gustav, Colonel Moon, has a reason to kind of get with Bond. But also, from from the perspective of the movie, you don't necessarily know that yet. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, this guy's just gone from zero to 60 and, like, trying to legit murder Bond with a broadsword. Sure. Because, like, in another movie, you'd be like, oh, this is already, like, the established villain, or it's like it would be more playful fight. But, like, no, it's like they're going at it. They're, like... Well, he made it very clear what the stakes were. It first was, blood like, from you the have course? to... First blood from the torso. Because the other thing was like the old. Let's do it the old-fashioned way. That was the other way he put it. It's like let's do it the old-fashioned. That's what it was. Yeah. It's like that's that's what. I see see your game. Let's do it the old-fashioned way. First blood from the torso. And I kind of want this as a T-shirt now. Like I kind of want this first blood from the torso wins. Can we just do it with this like? Like Gustav Graves is like a little smirky face. Well, what we should do is like make up a fencing academy <laughs> logo, and then like that be the quote. Yeah, at but the it's bottom. like like Gustav Graves, yeah, or, like yeah, the, or yeah. the Verity, yeah, or like stuff like that. So, so they, but but, but that I will say once that scene as good as as bad as it is good is genuinely entertaining. Probably my favorite thing from the movie. Uh, so basically, soon after this. Bond gets kind of like M on board yes. that like all right this guy's the bad guy yep. like we we think that I mean he's clearly the bad guy because Gustav also invites him to his ice palace yeah. in Iceland yeah there's it, an ice palace I know we've talked about it many times but but basically yeah. Gustav's like I, I built this ice palace for this one presentation right why don't you come over and uh, and join us I, I was impressed by yeah he invited him like like dude you you basically just challenged him to a match that could have killed him. <laughs> and and then Bond won. Uh, 
But so M gets on board, and then this was another weird small thing. So we get a Q scene. Yes. And it, here's my my note about the Q scene is that it it's fun, but it makes no sense because we've seen like there's an established Q brand. Like so when this Brosnan era started, yeah. It, it seems like the Q branch is getting less resources as these movies go along. Because when it started, <laughs> it was like this big, elaborate, like kind of like wing of like an office. Yeah. And then as it's gone on, it's just like, uh, all right, okay, here's a big warehouse now where we can get a car. And it's like, all right, no, we're just bringing the gadgets into like this room somewhere. And now it's just John Cleese in a basement somewhere with like decades old. Like I mean, it was fun to see the uh, like the jetpack. Yeah, the, and that's the ones cute. that's pointed out. It's like the jetpack, Rosa Klebb's shoe from From Rush with Love, and the briefcase from From Rush with Love as well. Right. Um, but it it just like so from that point of view, it made well, no I, sense. I, the only thing I would say is that it's specifically like they're in like they're in a different place though because they're in like the underground thing. Yeah, but it's like but also but also <laughs> the way it looks though. No, because it, it also transitioned because Bond has this weird VR sequence. Oh, the VR machine. Yes. Well, one thing I will say about that VR sequence is that they do make it like very video gamey though because it's just like sure because it's Bond in his office, which I think is the only, I think it's. The only second, the second time we've seen his office, the first time was in uh, Honor Badge DC Secret Service. This is the second time. But basically, it's like, oh, yeah, he hears this gunshot. He's cleaning his gun. And he goes out and, like, Money Penny's been killed. And then he's just, like, kind of shooting around. But, like, he kind of perfectly aims at, like, everything. Sure, sure. Like, he's like, oh, there's a guy. And he just, like, looks up. And then, like, even, like, the way that the camera moves, it's kind of like. It's supposed to be one of these things where it happens, like, suddenly in the middle of the movie that you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, why is this scene happening all of a sudden? And then, like, at the end, it's like. 007, you're not supposed to shoot, sh- M. shoot M. You're supposed M. to save him. And then, of and course, he says, of course, Bond says to John Cleese, uh, if you check, it was just a flesh wound. It, it, that's funny. Uh, I I hate to be, because I, I don't know, like, I, I kind of hate the excuse of, like, oh, you wasted an actor. Yeah. But it's just kind of like, <laughs> I do kind of feel like they, they've done nothing with John Cleese no. in these movies. Mm-hmm. Like. Like, now would have been the time where it's like, all right, let's give the Q role, like, a little bit more something more to, to do. do. Especially because you have, like, a slightly younger actor in Cleese, you know, maybe someone who's more kind of doing a lot more, has, you know, has his film history. Because he only has two scenes in the movie. No, yeah. And one is just, like, kind of like a gag scene. Yeah. Uh, So that that whole, the whole bit with Q yeah, and then was we get, weird. We get- I don't hate the, here's the thing. This is why I was kind of more willing to like rewatch this movie with an open mind because people say things like, "Oh, this is the movie with the invisible car. That's stupid." And I'm like, after watching all these movies, I'm not going to say the invisible car is so, stupid. Purvis and Wade hate the criticism of, of the invisible car uh-huh. for two reasons. One, they had an explanation that was cut out of the movie right. where it was like, "Oh, the invisible this car is specifically built for like deserts and like ice because it's there's less contrast right so they're basically saying oh you're going to this ice palace use this car the camouflage will be more effective there they're like no of course it wouldn't work in a city the other thing that they don't like people say is that it's not an invisible car because john cleese's q says right to the common eye it's practically invisible right right yeah so they're like it's not invisible it's not saying it's invisible (laughs) i mean yeah i mean i get it like yeah but it's like yeah yeah um, and also his watch, is his watch, he says, it's your 20th, I believe, which uh, I thought was a nice touch. I'm looking at the uh, thing. Oh, uh, <laughs> the power glove. 
Oh my god, the power glove. So now at, you're playing with power. So at one point, Gustav Graves. So basically, gets this is like his, this is when to, like he's absolutely revealed as the villain. Like yeah. you, you start to really realize, okay, he's like actually he's not just an asshole. He's actually a villainous guy. But by his cue, essentially, he's given like a Nintendo power, not an actual Nintendo power glove, but like a like a gauntlet. That when he like presses it, like emits electricity. It and I'm just gonna skip to where it goes. Yeah. So basically, Gustav Graves gets a like a robo suit, like yeah. half a robot like, suit. Like I described it, like it looks like uh, the Green Goblin suit from Amazing Spider-Man Two, with, yes. without without the goblin face. Right. It 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 is just like that's when it's like this movie is going through so many lengths yeah. to be a dumb blockbuster. <laughs> like we're because gonna... because the, the power glove gives him essentially like um. Force lightning powers. Where yeah, he's like unlimited power, and yeah. then like it shocks people. It's got like and, a, oh, and then the 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 crown jewel of the outfit was a helmet that has goggles that come over him, so he could control the laser or whatever. Right, because he has the Icarus laser, which he pitches as being like, oh, I can give you sunlight anytime, any day, so we can we'll never have hunger again because we can grow as many crops no matter what part of the world. Right, like no matter what the weather it's is. It's such a cartoon of like a plant like it's like how is anybody not suspicious of this guy's like listen and it also just seems like that just brings up so many like would that work could you just like have a satellite just beam direct sunlight to one area of the world and it just fixes whatever problem i don't think that's how it works no but it's also because especially like when like you know it's put in practicality like it It was just so it's just like Again, like I, I, I got. I mean, in, on one hand, I got to give the director credit that all he was eager to do was just make a dumb James Bond movie, but he almost did it too well. Yeah. Like where he's like, all right, it would be awesome. Like in in the script, it's just like there's this laser, and they give him the like the oh, it's gonna help farms. Like what? Yeah. No, and all this is happening once again in an ice palace, by yes. the way. Which also here's the thing: it wasn't like oh. Here's the ice palace, and everybody's coming there for a presentation. I mean, they do, but it's almost presented as if it's a hotel in Vegas. Yeah, like people are there, they're enjoying their drinks, they're in the lobby. It's it's like Like, what you said. It's as if they're just in a casino. Yeah, (laughs) people are walking around as if they're like just in a casino. You're in an ice palace. So eventually, like he gets reunited with both Jinx. Jinx is at the party, and of course, Miranda Frost, who we've learned at this point is an MI6 agent, Mm -hmm. or um. And we have a scene between Rosamund Pike and Judy Dench, which was uh, Rosamund's first scene that she shot on the movie. So it's oh, like, cool. not only am I like, not only am I on this giant James Bond movie, but I'm going against Judy Dench, who just lost an Oscar to Holly Berry, who's also <laughs> in this movie. Um, but anyway, so it's like we find out that she's like never slept with another agent, that she's very icy, she's very professional. Her name is Miranda Frost. Yes. Ayo. That's why they called her Miranda Frost. Yeah. Um, but basically, and this is like, did you think that? Wait a minute. No, 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 no. <laughs> All these names are stupid now. Because, like, what? at what point was her name Miranda Frost and then there was an Ice Palace in the script? Oh, the Ice Palace came first. But why, like, did she build the – why is her name Miranda Frost? Why is her name Jinx? Like, here's the it's thing. It's a nickname, but I don't. I couldn't hear – she introduces her full name. Oh, can I? I but it's go, just that lame, like, also, my name's Jinx because I'm bad luck. Like, s- shut up. A, I will say, we, we skipped over it, but the introduction, the Jinx and Bond's introduction is god awful dialogue. It is such 
a bad scene. Yeah. Because, like, here's the thing. You'll, you've heard the quote. It's a Miranda Frost quote. And the reason was, like, I was going to pick a Jinx quote because... Oh, we've, we've talked about the Jinx spinoff so many times. Yeah. But that first scene, that, that scene you would pick, which is that first scene between them, is so god-awful. And it's one of those, like, I don't know... I don't think it's the actors, but it's like, is it the script? Is it the directing? Is it the editing? I, 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 I it's, could it's tell part, which one it was. It's a lot of the script with a little bit, I think, of the like the direction. Yeah. Because it's just like the script yeah. just doesn't like, oh, you're going to be looking at the owls now? No, there's no owls here. What do predators do at night? They feast. <laughs> but it's like, it's not good. It's not clever. It's like, it's so poorly written. <laughs> and like, and the thing uh, is, is like other than that like jinx has a bunch of one-liners but that's the really thing like i said like she they she's kind of this female bond thing but she just doesn't really have a distinction to her um, like she's she's fine yeah. she's not helpless she's not like she's not the worst of these things we've seen but she's just there's nothing really to make her like oh yeah jinx other than like holly berry gives her some some energy because she's holly berry right right there's, there is holly some presence obviously right. but Going back to the Ice Palace, and speaking of Jinx, Jinx gets kidnapped by Diamond Face, and is put, <laughs> it is put on a gurney. That first of all, <laughs> she's put on a gurney. You don't know really where she is. She's just in some room in the Ice Palace, and Diamond Face is interrogating right. her. And then he's just like, he says something along the lines of like, we have ways of making people talk. And then like the gurney lifts up, and they're in a giant room that shoots lasers. And also, there is a lot of, and this isn't the only scene, there is a lot of random slow motion ramps mm-hmm. for no reason. Yes. Like, they're just these speed ramps of, like, somebody standing at a desk and the camera going around them. Yeah. But this one was hysterical, because the gurney went up, Diamond Face turns around, like, and does one of those flips his jackets as yeah. he turns around, and it's like, boom. <laughs> and it's like, in slow motion, and I'm like, what? Yeah, so the, the editor uh, was American- and he was a former music video editor. Okay. And I and apparently that's him and Lee worked together and just like yeah a no. lot of these cool shots and they're no. not cool. No. They're so lame. They all look like the shots of like speed ramps they would use in the trailer. Yes. Like you know like when it'd be like dude like it's yeah. like oh my god yeah it's so bad. Uh, there's also Mr. Kill um which is another yes guy that, yes <laughs> it's a guy and he gets killed. By a, like, first of all, well, that, no, basically, like, again, another element of, like, this guy is just eager just to make a Bond movie because Zhao's gonna go, he comes up, like, James Bond comes out of the car and the guy's like, My name's Mr. Kill. And Bond's like, It's a name to die for. Yeah. Well, no, but the other thing is, <laughs> like, like, like no. Zhao's just gonna, like, shoot her, basically. Or is yeah. he just gonna kill her? And I then, did like this. And I Mr., thought this was and funny. Mr. Mr. Kill's like, what, what are you gonna shoot her for? We have lasers yeah. here. <laughs> like, He's like literally like that was funny. And I was like, just don't make a mess. See, but, that was good. I like but that. But yeah, part. so eventually he gets killed when because yeah. because then Bond shows up, saves Jinx, but then basically like he sets up all the lasers and like there's like five, six lasers just like shooting. That yeah. Them. Oh, my note was why are there lasers? This is stupid. And yeah. then never mind, lasers are awesome. Yeah, like but because that was pretty like, cool. Jinx escapes and like basically aims the laser right through Mister Kill's head, where it like shoots through his hand. Yeah. And then basically that's pretty through crazy. that, because they're in the middle of this greenhouse, and Bond figures out like all this stuff. Basically, Bond, Bond puts the pieces together that Gustav grades as Colonel Moon. Okay, which, which we've learned at this point as an audience. Yeah, we've learned. We know. Okay, that. all right. Here's my big note, the yeah. biggest note of the entire movie. Yeah, Nick. 
Let's talk about the gene therapy plot line. Yes. Because the gene therapy plot line is something that's not established until they get to the Cuba stuff. Yeah. Like, and it's randomly, too. Like, it's yeah. there's nothing else about it in the movie. They go to this place, and it's like, oh, it's gene therapy, and basically it's like using our state-of-the-art technology and our weird little masks and wires, we can do whatever we, we need well, to do to no, make you the perfect. no, the technology is straight out of fucking Star Trek. <laughs> Cause he's like, like, cause, cause they first find Zhao doing the gene therapy. This is the movie that started out with a North Korean like interrogation torture yeah. segment. So basically, like, they Bond is there to kill Zhao, and he finds Zhao on like this, like, you know, on this kind of table, but like his head's being scanned with like, right, you know, like this, like. Okay, you said this at some point that they were going to explain it, and I completely missed it. Why can't they take the diamonds out of his face? Oh, it, they were su- basically they were supposed to right. with the gene therapy, but Bond interrupted it to the point where like they were fixing the genes so that they could take the diamonds out easily without damage. Why do you need your face lasered like that to take diamonds out of your it's face? It's stupid. I'm not saying it's a good explanation. Wait, what do you mean? Like the lasers were just going to like, no, you no, but get some fucking it, tweezers and take the diamonds yeah, out of his face. I don't know. It's connected to his fucking nerves. Take him to a dermatologist, not a, not a gene therapist. <laughs> It's, There's nothing wrong with, and if, and if anything, he made it look worse. Yeah, because he looks like this like Skeletor looking guy. Like yeah. what? But but basically, he was supposed to become white, just like how Colonel. Why? Moon. Okay, all right. So when you find out Gustav Graves is Colonel Moon, so he's a North American guy who says like he needed some sort of cover, so nobody knew he was. Well, no, he's a North Korean guy. What did I say? North American. Sorry, North North Korean. Uh, he's a North Korean guy, and he. He needs a face so people don't know he's alive. Oh, my God. It's so stupid. So then he's like, so I decided to model it off of you, you, you James. It was me, James. Yeah, but then it it's was like, you, James. But you look nothing like him. Like, the only thing you modeled off of is that he, he's white. Well, no, and but, I guess but, now he's a daredevil, like, yeah. too, but it's like... And oh, like, and then there is a line that the gene therapy actually makes it so he doesn't have to sleep that much. Yeah. Like, it's it's just so but like it, it's so weird yeah and dumb mm-hmm. like and you don't feel any of the drama of like i mean i guess you get the whole like oh he's crazy yeah but it, it just there it, there's a huge disconnect with it the thing is is like i think there's you know i said lee said a number of times that he liked you know oh he liked how toby could go over the top. I just think there's a little bit too. I think he had a little bit too much fun. As much as he like says, no, we we really try to capture you know the 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 realness of the character, right? And like how he feels about his father and all this sort of stuff. But really, at the end of the day, it's just Toby Steppens is just hamming it up, and well, it doesn't the, really help. It just, it makes the the so bad it's good even more so bad it's the, good. Well, the problem is you don't know the Colonel Moon character well enough for right. that. To big work. transition to because like be the really because you only see Colonel Moon as Colonel Moon in the opening sequence because at the end of the opening sequence before that stupid fucking song he dies right and and then the next time you you figure it out basically he's welcoming down it's like oh my brother and then he's speaking in Korean and he's basically like I am he's essentially like I am Colonel Moon yeah and, and it's then, because it, but it's so extreme too because it's a North Korean guy turning into a white guy yeah and the thing is like. There's only a couple ways you could do this plot line because there is a version of this movie that actually could work if you just streamlined it to that 
he's the villain and it's like straight because even though like North Korea is the villain it's not really because the whole mo- like the whole movie you're following this white guy around yeah like so and then you're like oh wait yeah it is a- North Korea is the bad guy but like if you had just followed this whole like the thing with the dad and maybe it just streamlined it to that mm-hmm. there is actually a good story and villain in there about this guy who's just so completely crazy that he just disfigured himself or gene therapied himself up the ass to look like a different person to do this thing. Like, you could get drama out of... And they try to do that. They try to sell the point that, like, oh, this guy's so crazy. Like, even, Mm -hmm. like, the North Koreans don't like him because he's, like, he's just nuts. So you could either do that or... The only other way you could do it is that it's, like, a villain from another movie. Yeah. (laughs) Those are the only two options you have. You know what? That would be, like, if you still had Blofeld... Exactly. Like if you yeah. did that and you just found out, oh no, he like made himself younger, did gene therapy or something like that. Right. To make right. Himself. Or like, but that's basically turning into M. Bison from Street Fighter, where it's like, I have different, <laughs> I have different bodies, which we already saw Blofeld do in Diamonds Are Forever, which is another diamond based movie. Um, yeah. But then, okay, so Bond confronts Gustav and basically, like, you're Colonel Moon. You've, re- you've lived to die another day. Title of the movie. Yeah. A. Uh, and then, you know, Bond, who had slept with. Miranda Frost. Right. Well, kind of like they're just like, oh, we, we could, they could be watching us, so let's sleep together type yeah. of deal. Um, after that's after the quote where it's like, oh, Em warned me about you. Right. Uh, yeah, all this sort of stuff. But then it's eventually revealed that Frost. Uh, is, yeah, well, is, is in Colonel Moon's like. To pocket. their credit, they do the whole like she sleeps with him, but then they reveal she's a bad guy like fairly quickly. Yeah. So, uh, points for that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we should then, also mention uh, at one point. That uh, they unveil the uh, Icarus, which yes. again is just a satellite that shoots beams of sun mm-hmm. from space, and uh, Bond escapes this. Yes, uh, <laughs> on uh, a CGI ice wave. Yeah, parasailing. Is that is that what you yes. call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks terrible. It's awful. It, it's Especially just... considering, like, listen, like I know, hey. Maybe it's early CG, but think about 2001. We've already had Lord of the Rings. Right. We've had, like, you know, a decent, you know, we, we're getting to that point where, like, okay, CG is becoming, like, a legitimate thing, but just, like, this just looks. And it's well, not, here's the here's thing. how I compare it. You know the scene, uh, the tunnel explosion scene in Mission Impossible, like, one. Yes. And the, the green screen on that one is a little rough, but yeah. it's just, like, one shot that has to convey the effect. Yeah. Right? The problem with this scene, it's a whole effect. It's a whole set piece based off of one effect. Yeah. So if you're going to do that, then it needs to work. And, but and the thing is, like, like I, it comes across like you know what's going on, but yeah. like the technology of what they it's were able to not, achieve is just not there. Not there. That's yeah. the thing. It's it's doing too much with the technology too fast. I think it again. It's that over eagerness. Like we got to do something big with this, but you got to wait for the technology to catch up with you. Yeah. Because because it just it just looks cheap. It like doesn't look good, and it's like because it's thing. Like I said, we've had good CGI movies at this time, even like stuff like The Matrix, you know, and um. Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. We've had decent yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's just like, I just think that it was just doing too much. Yeah. And it's like, the thing is too, it's like you, you, you box yourself in a corner with that scene. Cause it's not like you can like really cut it because it's important to where you are. Cause it's basically like bonds on the run breaks Gustav's speed record in the midst of escaping this uh, right, Icarus right, thing. Right. And then like, it's like the whole thing. And then of course, afterwards you get the, 
car chase on the ice, which is yeah. de- decent enough. Nothing. There was one good bit where uh, the car is upside down and Bond uses a uh, ejector seat, the, the ejector seat to, to uh, flip the car back yeah. over. Like that was pretty cool. And then like they do the car chase. Zhao and, and Bond are doing the car chase, and they they chase through the Icarus is melting because also they've captured Jinx and basically they've trapped her in a room. Yeah. And the ice palace is melting thanks to Icarus, so eventually it's just gonna drown her. But then right, Bond's right. there to like save her. Again, this was this was like a la- like the the ice the water flooding part was like a last minute thing. Originally, it was just going to be Bond coming at the last minute to like get her out of the right. way, but it was like at the last minute. Again, Lee was like, "I just want to do a car chase here," and the director, the production designer, was like, "I I guess I can do that." Okay. <laughs> um. So eventually, they get saved. They get together back with Michael Manson and and Judy Dench. At which point, this is a small point, but I feel like because <laughs> at one point. M is like going into Michael Madsen being like, you, we, we, sh- you should have figured out, we should have figured out that, that Colonel Moon and Miranda Frost went to, went to Harvard together and like went, we're on the fencing team right, together. Right, right. That it seems like that's something that would be pretty obvious to both parties, especially because like, I'm sure the roster of the Harvard fencing team right. is public knowledge. Yeah, but, I- yeah, no, it's dumb, but I think the the point that was trying to be conveyed was because they were not working together. Yeah. If they had worked together properly, then they yes. wouldn't have missed that. Yeah, that's true. But, but, it's like, but it just but seems like they're a very so, clearly obvious thing. But there's so many moments, like, there's that, there's, like, the James and M, like, little, like, back and forth, like, when she's, like, saying, like, oh, like... You know, are you are, are you the traitor or whatever? There's just like so many moments like that where it's just like that's it, like that's yeah. as deep as well, it goes on that even, plot even line. That, like, because remember, like the whole first part of the movie is like, oh, Bond's on the run from MI6 essentially because like he's no longer a double O agent, but he wants revenge on Zhao. He escapes, and then halfway through the movie, like, M just comes is like, okay, well, I guess we can use you now. Which well, I mean, but there's, it makes well, what makes sense right. like, within the context of the movie, but it also feels like, you know. It just feels like there's also elements of that where it's like, well, maybe, maybe there was more. Oh, there were no about. stakes to him not being. Yeah, that's allowed. what I'm saying. That's yeah, what I'm saying. It's yeah. like immediately anything. There were no stakes at all because it's not like he was being hunted in. Like, let's imagine you had like a scene like you know where he's like being hunted in Havana because like he's escaped. Right. And then like then eventually he like comes like you know to it, but eventually it's just like no, he's just it just seems like he's on a regular mission. Right. Right. I mean, I don't have too much else to say yeah, about so the eventually, end. Yeah, really. The yeah. Is like. Jinx and Bond go to uh, Korea because, again, uh, uh, Gustav slash Colonel Moon's plan is to basically use the Icarus to create a pathway through the demilitarized zone so that the North can march on the South. Right. And then he meets up with his father again and he's like, hey, I'm your son. And the dad's like, what? You're white. You're my son. And then the dad's like, wait a minute. If you do this, it's going to cause a nuclear war. And the son's so crazy that he just kills his dad. So that happens. Um, meanwhile, Bond and so basically Bond goes to fight Gustav. Jinx has the lady fight with Miranda Frost, in which um, she kills Miranda Frost with a knife through a Art of War book, mm-hmm. and then with ends with the quip. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> read that. No, cause, no, because Miranda Frost says, "I can read your every yes, move." I can read your every move. So then. Jinx stabs uh, her with the book. Jinx stabs her with the book, which I don't know. It's kind of a cool, like... Sure, yeah, yeah, it's it has, fine. It has it's impact. Yeah. It has impact. Yeah. The way it's shot has impact. But she stabs him with the book with the knife. Miranda Frost is like, oh! Because also the thing is with the Miranda Frost character, she's like, she likes being a winner. She never loses. Right, right, so right. So immediately she's like, in her last moments of life, she's like, I lost. 
And then Jinx is just like, read that, bitch. (laughs) It's that pause that makes it so weird. No, it was that, again, it's the early 2000s where that was like the big, they would always do stuff like that where it would be like, punctuate it with a bitch. And then like, it's like, yeah, now it's real. And then as Bond's fighting Gustav Graves, Gustav is just being a madman or like just like stuff like like he has two parachutes and like he literally says, oh, there's two parachutes here for us to get out. He yeah. throws them out the window. Not anymore. <laughs> and it's just like, what is that? I mean, I, he's he's crazy. He's crazy. Yeah. But then Bond eventually like he Bond releases the parachute early. He flies out the window and then he basically pushes a button on the suit and it electrocutes him. Right. Because I don't know if we mentioned he has a robot suit that electrocutes he's, people. He's bad. Right. Like in The Wizard. It's just kind of weird because you open up on a movie that's just regular North Korea. But then you also, like, continue to do this, like, all the gadgets are from, like, sci-fi movies. (laughs) Well, no, because it is, like, again, that power suit is is also kind of, it's just, like, it's kind of out of a superhero movie, to be quite honest. Yeah, no, it is. (laughs) That's what I I mean. And the tech is, like I said, so much of the tech just looks Star Trek-y to me, too. Uh, so basically, it ends up, I don't know. Bond and Jinx end up in some temple or some 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 house, hut, yeah, some so, hut somewhere. Some mystery hut. And again, it's like that whole thing where it's like they're doing the last little bit where they're sleeping together. Yeah. But like all of a sudden, like Jinx like really wants the diamonds. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so she's just like, we have to return the diamonds. And I was like, wait, was that like your thing during the movie that you're kind of a bad guy, like? Like, essentially, like, she's playing more Catwoman in this movie than she did Catwoman. That's Like, really in, in the true. Catwoman movie. Like, but it's like, but also it's like, what, why? And then before we wrap up, like, with the, the actual, like, movie itself, <laughs> yeah. we have to talk about this weird money penny scene. <laughs> oh, my God. I almost forgot. How could you forget? All right. I'm going to say this first off. Yeah. Before we go to the scene, it's amazing how we went from, in Goldeneye, her being like, for as far as I know, James, you never had me to this. Okay, so this is what's funny. So Money Penny barely has a scene early on before this happens. Yeah, so early on, which makes it even weirder. It's one of those scenes where she's like kind of watching over Bond, but then like because he's he's not officially an agent, she's like someone comes in like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "Oh, I just was, was uh, listening to a storm warning or something like yeah. that." Yeah, but it's something like that's that. about it. That's, like, it. that's it. That's all yeah. she has. So then later in the movie, so they've won the day, right? Yeah. They've won the day. They're all good to go. And then Money Penny's in her office. She's typing up the report on Miranda Frost and like the incident. She's doing her Money Penny things. And then Bond comes in, and she's like James. And then it basically leads up to where, for like the first time, they actually kiss and start having like you know to start making out and like he, he they're throws, about to get into it. To, and... He throws her on the desk, and they're about to like start getting it on. Uh huh. And then all of a sudden you hear cues like Money Penny. Yeah. And then you cut to Money Penny sitting up. With the VR goggles on. <laughs> this scene is so stupid on a number of levels. One, that's not how VR works. Two, if that was in the programming, then Q had to have programmed a sex scene with Bond, which Q couldn't have had because he thought that Money Penny was just doing the shooting exercise. And then Money Q's like, Oh, it's a little harder than you thought, wasn't it? And then Money Penny's like, "Yeah." And then Q's like, "Wait a minute. This is weird." <laughs> third of all, third of all, again, we went from the Money Penny scene in Goldeneye and even like the other scenes where they're like they're friendly, they're giving each other shit to like this 
What is this? Money Penny's just imagining porn. She downloaded porn onto the VR device. Why? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. The song um, is stupid. That scene is stupid, but also kind of amazing, but really, really stupid. No, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not a good movie. No, it's it, not. Because it, it really is like there are the ridiculous elements, but like there's not enough of them for me to like want to come back to like this kind of. I know we have our disagreements on this movie, but I still feel like something like Live and Let Die is like has enough of a ridiculous edge yeah. of like the supernatural. Is it supernatural? Isn't it to keep me going? Yeah. Whereas this, it's like really like again that one scene that I genuinely want to go back and like rewatch sometime is a sword fight scene because it's so out of nowhere and so ridiculous and still kind of choreographed well and so entertaining. Yeah. But the rest of the movie, they have the ridiculous. Like the gene therapy is ridiculous. Like um. The laser thing is ridiculous. The power suits are ridiculous, but none of them come together in a satisfactory so bad it's good way. It's so bad it's good, but not in a way that I would come back to this. I mean, I wouldn't come back to it. I mean, I wouldn't come back to the other one either. The, I know. The Live and Let Die. But it's like, I don't know. No, like, I, they, I this one gets uh, like a little bit of those like funny points. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, this would be, I would say, like, oh, if you want to see, like, the bad James Bond movie. Yeah, this, it, this because is... Because it's, like, it. I, I do find this, it entertaining listen, to watch. Like, here's the thing. I put this under some probably, like, Bond movies I wouldn't recommend. Like, I honestly put this underneath Thunderball for me, personally, because I kind of genuinely enjoy at least the third act as more as I kind of go on. Mm-hmm. Like, I would just put it just underneath that. But I would also say, like, this is easy enough to watch or if you just want, like, the, the bad Bond but No, movie. it's funny, though. Yeah. I, that's my thing. It's, it's funny like, bad. It, it, no, it's, 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 it's a not bad like, movie. Like, here's the thing. Like, like, it's still the worst is View to a Kill because that movie is just nothing. But, like, I wouldn't tell somebody to watch View to a Kill. I'd tell someone to watch this just for, like, Sure. Once. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then who is Harrison Ford? Oh, this is a tough one. I movie. think he is... I think he's the uh, like the manager of the of the ice palace. Yeah, <laughs> like he's like the events coordinator for the ice palace. Where yeah, he's like putting it together. Like because it's because again it's it's said that he built it specifically for that. But hey, maybe he's like maybe we could do something more with this. And then Gustav Graves starts you know melting it with the ice beam. And you, I want to get you. Either that or he's uh, he's uh, in the gene therapy uh, place trying to age himself back down to Alec Baldwin. <laughs> And then, so basically, he's Jack Ryan yeah. in, the, in this in this movie. I feel you. Um, right. So anyway, this was the last Brosnan. Yeah, I was gonna quickly get through the first part of the aftermath where we talk about the release, and then oh, okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. We have some two things to mm-hmm. get this through. All right, so um, it releases in November two thousand two on November eighteenth um, worldwide. Uh, it uh, is the second Bond film to be appended to by the Queen at the premiere. Uh, and it, it, the premiere features most of the Bonds uh, arriving, um, so it's more uh, more Lazenby, um, Dalton, and Brosnan all show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connery could not make it as he was finishing filming on A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so... This movie was the highest grossing Bond movie ever made. Uh-huh. Uh, it made $432 million worldwide, and it was the sixth gross, highest grossing movie of 2002. Review-wise, here's what shocked me. With 215 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has a 58%. It's almost not certified fresh, yeah. but it's almost fresh. Yeah, okay. 
Nah. <laughs> nah. So this nah. movie was very divisive. Uh-huh. But it's really it's gone down in history as like one of the worst. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like it, my it, my history with this movie is that it's like the Batman and Robin yes. of these movies. So I think there was a little bit more at the time just because of what it was. People got caught up in the hype. But yeah. I think really as time goes on, as people reflected on this movie, it's it's hasn't gone well. Sure. Um I will re- read one review. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna read the review first before I said it. I thought it just went too far. And that's coming from me, the first Bond in space. Invisible cars and dodgy CGI footage, please. That's what Roger Moore has to say about this movie. Um, but yeah, because there's reviews of what you expect and people just really... This movie was very controversial in North Korea, though. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. Uh, because... Well, actually, both Koreas. Because <laughs> North Korea was like, oh, it's propaganda against us. Yeah. And in South Korea, there's one line where an American general is like, send the South Korean troops in. And then the South Koreans are like, the Americans would never do this. <laughs> Here's also what's really funny, by the way. Um, so the guy who played Colonel Moon, like, or legitimately, yeah. like, he tried to defend it. It was like, well, it's not really North Korea aren't really the villains. It's just this one guy being crazy. Right. It, it's like was, the Red Skull yeah, thing yeah. where it's like, he, like even the Nazis don't like him. Like, Which was <laughs> completely thrown under bus by Lee Tamahori when he said, oh, no, the North Koreans are just fucking crazy. <laughs> Like, he literally said, like, when asked about it, like, oh, no, they're all insane. <laughs> so, that happened. It was very uh, controversial. So, yeah. what do you want to talk about first? Brosnan's End or the Jinx spinoff? Uh, let's let's talk about the Jinx spinoff first. Okay. So, it is true that there was a Jinx spinoff in development. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a whole lot known about this. I have tried to do as much research as I can. Mm-hmm. So, I try to let you know what uh, what I know. So the Jinx spinoff would have been written by Purvis and Wade. Mm-hmm. Attached to direct was uh, Stephen Fears, Frears, um, who at that time had directed stuff like High Fidelity, would go on to direct stuff like The Queen and Philomena and stuff like that. Kind of that kind of director. Um, so a couple things. One, obviously Holly Berry would have returned. Michael Madsen would have returned as her M, essentially. MGM really wanted to get Michelle Yao to be involved as her character from Tomorrow Never Dies so that they could still develop a spinoff for her character at some point. <laughs> they were really high on Michelle. Um, and it would have been scheduled to release sometime around 2004. Because mm-hmm. the idea that MGM had initially was like, okay, it would be like, if Bond was the Summer Olympics, then then this movie would be the Winter Olympics. That the, that, that the spinoff series that they could produce would be like, hey, this is kind of like a little bit smaller scale like the Winter Olympics are, but still kind of a big budget movie. Because really, again, at this time, MGM only had the Bond franchise. It really wasn't anything else making them money. So they wanted to kind of go with that. Um, now, the the spinoff was eventually canceled because, one, because of um, uh, some financial issues with MGM. Mm-hmm. The other reason being that they just were like, let's just focus on the next Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Purvis and Wade, again, the, what the script would have been, because it was written, what it would have been has never really been discussed in terms of the plot. Now, what Purvis and Wade have said, the only things they've really said about it are it would have been less excessive than um, Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. And that some of the stuff from that from that movie have made their way into the Craig films. So this is just speculation on my part, just based on what I gathered. But I kind of think 
that this Jinx movie probably would have been her kind of investigating something similar to what we get with Quantum Mm -hmm. in the Craig movies. I just feel like that's really the thing that makes the most sense of what they took, especially if you consider they made that interview probably around Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale time. That I just think that maybe that smaller scale, she's investigating this kind of, you know, thing as part of this American thing, and maybe she gets involved with Michelle Yao at some mm-hmm. point. There's not a whole lot more information about it. Um, I'll take it. So the main, the other main reason. So not only do they want to focus on 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 Bond Twenty One, which eventually becomes Casino Royale, but it also was canceled because Brosnan was um, leaving the franchise. Uh-huh. Also, wait, one thing I want to mention too about the about Jinx before I move on is that Holly Berry has said that she enjoyed the Jinx role so much that she would come back to do it for free. Mm-hmm. And she said in an interview about her role in Kingsman, the Golden Circle, yes, that if she comes back for another Kingsman movie, she wants to make her character more like Jinx. <laughs> so Fair enough. If, if, if that Jinx spinoff never does happen, we can consider her character in the Golden Circle to be the, the Jinx spinoff. Maybe mm. the Jinx origin story, as it were. But yeah, Brosnan leaves. So this is super interesting because Brosnan is the only Bond that Eon chose to move on from as opposed to the Bond actor moving on. Because Connery, Moore, Lassenby, Dalton all chose to leave. Mm-hmm. Even more like, even though it was kind of mutual, Moore had tried to leave before. So it was, really was his decision. What Brosnan says happened is that after Die Another Day was the most successful Bond movie yet, he said he was asked to do a fifth. Mm-hmm. And he said he would do a fifth. He said his fifth would be his last, but he would do a fifth. And then he said halfway through negotiations, something changed. Brosnan thinks that he was he was 50 for Die Another Day. And he thinks that the age thing and the injury he sustained on set kind of scared them off. Mm-hmm. That he they didn't... that. Wilson and Barbara didn't want another more situation where they kind of had this older bond and they, they see the height of the franchise and then they have to, they see it deteriorate and then they have to kind of pick themselves back up. He thinks that halfway through they changed their minds and wanted to do it in terms of what I kind of gather from the Eon side. We'll talk about it a little bit more in the next episode, but they recently had required the reacquired the rights to Casino Royale. And I think Barbara saw kind of the writing on the wall. She was a little bit more familiar with what was going on in Hollywood. There was a script being developed around this time called Batman Begins. <laughs> and she thought that that was going to be the future of cinema. Uh-huh. That these kind of taking it back down to earth, making it more real. Okay. Was the gritty reboot. The gritty reboot. And so with them and the recent reacquirement of Casino Royale, they thought, well, we maybe this is the direction we go. And... Barbara wasn't interested in doing what they did with Moore. Because you remember Moore, they did the Moonraker thing where they did him high, and then they brought him back for for Your Eyes Only, which was, you know, which was supposed to be a lower scale. Right. They wanted to say, if we're going to reset this, we right. want a clean slate. So uh-huh. basically, they chose to move on from Brosnan. Okay. Which I thought was very interesting. Mm. So this is kind of the reflection on the Brosnan era. Brosnan was somebody, to me especially kind of reading about his disappointment with leaving, because he was really eager to do more. He, mm. he loved playing the role. I think he's solid. I think his performance in GoldenEye is all-time, like an all-time Bond performance. I think that performance just is great. I think the, you know, we're, Tomorrow Never Dies and The World's Not Enough, I think he's, he's good. I, I don't really, like, there's, he's, he does what he does well. He's kind of very quippy. He does those quips. He's, he kind of plays the humor well. 
He he throws himself into the action. I don't think he's like the height of it from any of the Bond perspective. I think, you know, like Connery, I like how Connery and Dalton throw themselves in the action. I kind of like Morse quips a little bit more. But I think Brosnan is a very solid overall package of a Bond. And I think mm. him in Goldeneye is just an all-timer. It's yeah. just like probably like a top three Bond performance just in general for me. Yeah. I think he is best in Goldeneye, definitely. It's kind of like how that like Christian Bale is best in Batman Begins mm-hmm. type of thing. And he's good in the rest of them, too. But Brosnan is one of those things where I do think he he fits into the role perfectly. He's good in all the movies. But I do think Brosnan suffers from that, how much are they going to write James Bond? Like, because every movie they just write James Bond. Like, remember that joke I had a long time ago about, like, when are we going to do more with this character? Yeah. And the most that they do that I feel is probably in um, Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. That that's the most they kind yeah. of delve into the character. But then you have three movies of they don't really do too much else with him as a character. Because and then it's just like you know he's just like he's good, but he it's a double edged sword. He's really good at doing the role, but it's also a victim. He's a victim of how it's being written. Yeah, too. it's kind of like that. And I also think like he suffers from like really like three of his four movies involve satellites and yeah, like they're his movies are kind of very similar in some senses sometimes. Like they're different, but they're they all kind of follow very similar patterns. Yeah, and I think like that's the thing about like what. Even like Connery, like the main ones that have multiple movies, which is Connery, Moore, and Dalton, they do do get to do different things with their bonds. Uh-huh. You know, like Moore definitely kind of has his character evolve a little bit in terms of how they present it. Mm-hmm. You know, Connery, you know, those movies get bigger and the performance gets bigger. And Dalton has like those two very interesting ones. But even like comparing Living Daylights to License to Kill, they're two kind of different movies where he's playing the similar bond, but he still gets to play a little bit more of the edge in License to Kill. He gets to play a little bit more of the quip there mm-hmm. and i think because brothen starts off so strong in goldeneye but like those movies never really evolved for him they're all fine like you know the other i mean die another day is not fine mm-hmm. tomorrow never dies and world enough are fine movies at least to me they're fine movies goldeneye is an all-timer but i think they're all i think they're i think goldeneye is the one good one i think the next two are fine yeah uh and this is the bad one yeah 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 but it's just like the, the the movies never evolved and so there was no way for his character to his interpretation of a bond to yeah. evolve. he was really playing in those three other movies he's playing an offshoot of what he did in goldeneye and i just think like that is a disservice to how much he was passionate about the role mm. and i think like if you had given him something like what they do in casino royale i think he would it would have been like you know it would have evolved him at least a sure. little bit to kind of make him stand out more yeah i think he's still good and i think it's hard sometimes because again he is the bond of our youth mm-hmm. he's the bond that like you kind of think of i think of sometimes the first time just seeing bond it's just like my first time seeing oh, yeah, bond oh yeah it was mine so was like you know was that era if it's like hey that was the bond that was on goldeneye 64 he was on the he was on the cover of that video game which mm-hmm. you know was everywhere so um, but it was just interesting because, like, it was Eon moving on, and that's going to be a big precursor to what our next movie is. It's really like Eon is like, and Barbara and Wilson are like, we're going to take this down. We're going to reboot this. Because there's an element, too, that they, Purvis Wade, Broccoli, and Wilson all said that, like, they kind of misjudged with Tomorrow Never Die, or sorry, with A Die Another Day. They misjudged kind of what people were interested in. And I think, again, it's Barbara who says, I see the future of cinema. It's kind of toning it down, making it gritty, making it real. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Yeah. And they don't want to do that with Brosnan because they know, again, Brosnan would be doing one more at most. He's getting older. So you do that with Brosnan, and then you have to do that again with another new Bond. There's like, let's just start fresh. Mm-hmm. Well said.
Um, all right. I mean, it's not good. It's not a good movie. No. So. <laughs> all right. So next time. But Brazen's good. Next Brazen's time on the Bond franchise, we're to our final, as of now, uh, era mm-hmm. of Bond. Uh, we are going to be introduced to Daniel Craig mm-hmm. uh, in a movie that I'm sure we're familiar with. We're getting to like the very familiar territory with you. Um, but we are going to get to Casino Royale. Yeah, from we'll, here on out, I've seen all the movies. We, so. We'll talk about how they got the Casino Royale rights back. I'm sure you'll be interested in that. Uh, we'll talk about the casting of Daniel Craig, and we'll talk about a gritty reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not Batman Begins. No, no, no not Batman. Well, I'm sure we'll mention I'm it. I'm sure we'll yeah. mention how it's important to what Casino Royale became. Right. Uh, but next time's not James Bond. It's it is Godzilla, not. in which we will be reintroduced to Mechagodzilla 2. In Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla mm-hmm. 2. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to find out why you it's will. That. But until then, I'm done. You're done. We're done. All right. Bonzillapod at gmail.com. Yeah, that's one. Twitter.com slash Bonzilla007. It's dos. Facebook.com slash Bonzilla007. Rios. SoundCloud.com slash Bonzilla007. Fuatros. And you can like and subscribe, iTunes, or SoundCloud. That's the whole package right there, my friend. All right. All right. So uh, until next time, until next time, we are going to watch more movies for this Bonzilla podcast. Here it comes. Listen. Come on. You can do it. No, I'm not this is just the music going on. Come on, you can talk. <laughs> Listen to that, <laughs> bitch. Hey.